Hey, Mountain family, let's admit it. Some prayers are just lame. I mean, like we say, words, but they don't really have any faith or power behind them. No punch. They don't change anything or anyone. But then you look at Jesus and the way he prayed, and man, it rocked the world, right? His prayers were on point. They were, they were real. They were from the heart. They were risky. They were radical. And I don't know if we're ready for it or not, but you and I can pray exactly the same way Jesus did. And actually, over the next few weeks as we head toward Easter, we're going to dig into some of the prayers of the Bible, simple, earthy prayers like, help, and send me, and why, and whatever you want, God. Prayers like that that we can all pray, but listen, don't pray these prayers unless you're really ready for God to rock your world and change the world around you at the same time. It starts in March. Now, one of the things I love so much about Mountain is how we keep our eye on the target of our mission that Jesus gave us. And part of what that means is that we here at Mountain, we want to be the most effective, strong, warm, growing families of healthy mission outposts we can possibly be. But also, we really want to invest in the planting of new, healthy, strong, effective, growing churches at the same time. In fact, our vision is to be a church that plants churches that will plant churches that will plant churches because Jesus wants to see a whole movement of his followers work together to impact our region and transform the world in his name. And that's why I'm so stoked for our relationship with Joshua Simonette and the young church he's leading in the city called Hope Baltimore. Josh and his family are connecting people to Jesus and to one another in a place that really needs both. And I'm just so proud of what they're doing and so grateful that through Unstoppable Good, we're able to be partners with this kind of work and this vibrant new church. Josh is actually no stranger to Mountain as he's been to speak a few times with us. And if you're just meeting him now, you're really going to like this guy. I mean, some people think he's cool because he played uh, football in the NFL for the Washington football team, you know, or that he hangs out with Deion Sanders. But I think he's cool because he's a great husband, he's a great dad, he's a great friend, he's a disciple of Jesus. And today, he's going to bring a message that is very near and dear to both of our hearts. I think it's going to connect with your heart too. So let's give a huge welcome back to our Mountain friend, Pastor Joshua Simonette. Well, well, Mountain, it is so good to be hanging with y'all again this weekend. It's awesome to be back. Hey, there have been some changes since the last time I was here. Uh, Pastor Ben mentioned Hope Baltimore. Well, we have actually merged with another church in the city, and we've rebranded, and we have a new name. We are now Hopeville, and so we are excited about Hopeville. We're excited about um, our uh, new vision uh, in the city, and here's another thing I'm excited about. I'm excited about your partnership and your investment in helping us do what we do in the city. We couldn't do it without churches like Mountain, so thank you guys so much for your investment. And, by the way, you should come hang with us. Uh, whenever you like. I'm not saying leave Mountain, but just, you know, come hang with us. Um, and uh, we, we would love to have you there hanging out with us. Hey, big shout out also to all of you at all of our campuses and those um, of you who are online. Thank you for uh, tuning in with us this weekend. I am excited to share um, a message that, as Pastor Ben said, is, is very, very uh, dear to me and something I'm very, very passionate about. 
And if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to meet me in Matthew chapter number 18, but we'll get there in just a second. Before we do, I actually want to start out by showing you some photos. I want to show you some photos of some people who have been labeled some of the greatest in human history, some of the greatest in modern history, and they have remarkable accomplishments. Um, in every, or I should say, different fields of human endeavor. Now, some of these names you might know. Some of these uh, are names that you're not as familiar with. But these are people who have had significant uh, impact in their field. And you know, when I look at lists like this and, and I think of people um, like this, I also begin to have several questions uh, in my mind. Because here's what we do inevitably. When we see lists like this and we uh, start naming people who are great in their fields, you know what we also do? We start comparing them to other people. We start ranking them. We start saying who's greater and who's better than who. And as I think about this, I, I started asking myself questions like, why do we spend so much time ranking other people? Why do we spend so much time comparing other people to others? You know, LeBron James just um, broke the NBA uh, points record that no one thought he would break, and inevitably everyone is talking about, well, is he the greatest? Is he greater than Michael Jordan? Is he great? And for some of you, that is not an argument, and I'm not here to talk to you about that. But that's immediately where we go. The term GOAT gets, gets tossed around. That's the greatest of all time. And, and we're constantly trying to put these titles and these rankings on. We are so obsessed with comparison. But what does it actually mean to be great? What are the metrics associated with greatness? How are we ranking? Now, Listen, I understand that some of the rankings and reviews and performance and all of that stuff, it matters, right? Like when we want to go out to a restaurant, you know, and we want to know, it, it, hey, what are the people saying about this? Or, hey, maybe there is something I want to buy and I'm trying to see, like, what's the best value? Hey, I get all of that when it comes to products, but not people. And too often, we're caught up into this thing called Social comparison theory. I think we've got some smart people in the room who've heard of that before. And it, it, it basically is when we base our value on how we stack up against other people. And in our culture's currency, the best way for us to kind of see where we are is to kind of look at other people and, and judge ourselves uh, against them. And our sense of self-worth is tied up into how we are looking at others, our, our, our sense of how we rank. Now, here's a little caveat. There's no issue, none whatsoever, with celebrating greatness, great accomplishments, great feats. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with it when we begin to tie our value to accomplishments. When we begin to tie our value to rankings. I have a, a high school daughter and actually I have, I have three daughters, but one in high school, one in college, and one is in pre-K. Y'all pray for me. That's not how we drew it up. 
But I'm driving my, my daughter to school just today, and, and, and I, I, I said, Jocelyn, listen, there are only two things I want you to be focused on. I want you to be focused on are you working as hard as you can in your classes? And if you're working as hard as you can, the grades will take care of themselves. I'm not counting A's or B's. I want you to do well, but I want you to just focus on working hard because that's a life skill. That's what I want you to be focused on. The second thing I want you to be focused on is having fun. You're never going to be in high school again. And what I don't want my daughter to do is to be focused on comparing herself to other students' performance. I want her to just enjoy her life. When we don't do this, this opens the door for unhealthiness in our lives. Unhealthy pride over inflation of, of, of ego and even comparing ourselves in negative ways where we have low self-esteem. And these things that I'm talking about are related to a significant ongoing struggle that has been man's problem from the very beginning. It's an identity crisis that causes us to be confused about our value and our worth and the value and worth of others. And so this question of who is the greatest or greatness or to be greater than is deeply rooted in all of us because aren't we always saying to ourselves, if I could just do this like this person or if I could just have this or if I could just just have these things going, my life would be better than or my, 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 my situation would be better, right? Well, this brings us to Matthew 18, and this is what I love about the Bible. Uh, there are many things in there that have been going on for, for so long that are, that are so relevant to our lives today. And Jesus is confronted by his disciples with this idea of ranking. Another reminder that humanity has been dealing with this thing for a really long time. So Jesus dealt with this idea of ranking and who's better and greater and all this sort of stuff many, many times. But what's interesting here in Matthew 18 is how Jesus responds. It is very unusual, it's unexpected, and quite confusing when we understand the context here. So go with me to Matthew 18. We'll start at verse number 1 and verse 5. We'll have the words on the screen for you. You can follow along with me. It says, at that time... And what they're, what they're making reference here is uh, the disciples are, are, are coming to Jesus and there's always some stuff going on. So at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It couldn't come up with a better question, right? So he called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. This is a very, very interesting Response. You notice how Jesus never gives straight answers. Like, like that's kind of on purpose, right? 
But in a nutshell, Jesus is saying, fellas, you just don't get it. You, you just are missing the point. Let me tell you what would actually change everything. Let me tell you what is a much better pursuit that is, that is rarely ever pursued or what we rarely ever see. Lean in a little bit. Humble yourself like this little child. And what Jesus is saying is chasing humility is actually the game changer. And let me just tell you why that was a little bit of a, a problem. The question that Jesus has asked about greatness isn't shocking, but his response is for a couple of reasons. The main one being like this metaphor of this child. Let me help you understand what this meant. Two quick things. Before we do that, though, let me, let me unpack for us what it actually means to be humble so that we all have the, the same working definition here. So here's what it means to be humble, all right? Not prideful or arrogant. And here's the part right here that's a little bit of a struggle for us, ranking low in hierarchy. That's a challenge in a world that values based on hierarchy, right? So historically, humility was not viewed positively. I don't know that it's still viewed positively because no one wakes up in the morning uh, and says, hey, I want to be low ranking today. I want to pursue low hierarchy today. No, we say, I want to be great today. And we've got an idea in our mind of what that means. And it has everything to do with climbing some ladder or being higher than our current status. The second thing I think we need to understand here is that the mindset of the disciples was a view of what it meant to be a part of a kingdom. They were thinking about governance. They were thinking about hierarchy and about ranking. And historically in Judaism, they, they believed that the Messiah, Jesus, would come and overthrow the Roman government and reestablish the rule of Israel as the one true kingdom of God. So this is part of their thinking. And they start like, hmm, so if, yo, if Jesus is going to be king, like, who going who gonna to rank where? Like, who's, who's going to be who? They're thinking about honor and privilege. And even James and John's mom rose up on Jesus. Jesus, listen, now my boys, they, I don't even see them anymore because they following you. They, they, they are pursuing you. They are committed to you. Jesus, I, I just need you to make sure that my boys get a seat on your left and your right. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. But that's what moms do. Moms going to look out for their kids. That's, that's, that's what they do. But listen, in the ancient world, just like in the modern world, position and rank equal power. And Israel had been so oppressed. They had been under foreign rule for so many years. I can understand these disciples saying, finally, we can be in a position of authority to outrank people and we can have power. But what they didn't understand is that Jesus didn't come to reestablish Israel. 
He came to, to establish a different kind of kingdom. And can I just tell you something real quick? The metrics and God's kingdom and God's economy are a little bit different. They're not the same. And I think the disciples, along with many of us, missed the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. No one wants to be poor in spirit, right? And blessed are those who mourn and all of these different things that Jesus is saying. Not the, not the kinds of blessings that we would pursue. I, I think we miss some of that and, and the disciples miss some of that. So Jesus is taking this opportunity to give them another picture when they ask this question. Who is the greatest in your kingdom? So let me ask you this. What does humility have to do with being like a child? Thank you for asking. I'm so glad you're engaged. I'm here to help you. Number one, if you're taking notes. Children had little to no value in the ancient world. Imagine walking down the street and we've seen where there's trash, you know, piled up or uh, we've been in unkempt areas where uh, there's just a lot of, you know, stuff going on and maybe even things discarded along the side of the road. Can you imagine walking along the side of the road and seeing a small child discarded like trash? But this was actually a common thing in the ancient world, because if a child was born with a defect, if a child was, was a, a, a girl, maybe not even a boy, or there were too many girls, or whatever the case may be, it was common for a child to be disregarded. They had no value. They were a lot of work. Well, they still a lot of work. But, but there, was, there, was, there was seen as like, okay, there's, there needs to be some value add, or we can't take this on. And so imagine then Jesus saying, hey, if you want to be great, you need to be like this small child, which actually has no value. It was a bad word to actually say or to utter humility. It didn't have a positive connotation. And I think today, we have come to embrace humility a little bit more, but it is still the thing that is the bedrock of all the virtues that if we pursue that, how much greater would our world be? Jesus is saying greatness is to make yourself of no reputation, which is crazy to think about in our terms because that is how you become great is to make yourself of reputation, right? That is how you become known is to make yourself of reputation. That is how you go viral is to make yourself of reputation. The last thing we want to be seen as is weak and lame and soft because there was nothing powerful about a child. But when we think about Philippians 2, when the Apostle Paul is writing to Jesus' followers uh, in a place called Philippi, and, and he says, listen, Jesus did not consider it equality to be with God, but he made himself nothing. He became obedient to death, and God exalted him. 
This is what this means. Humility means that the greatness posture is down, not up. Because God is the one, once we humble ourselves, he's the one who does the, the exalting. Not what society says, not what our friends says. Because, listen, on a bad day, they'll turn on us. On, on a, on a, on, hey, let, let something go left and we'll find out who's really for us. Our culture's posture is to build ourselves up, oftentimes by stepping on other people. Children have value just because they're our children. My little babies, my seven and five-year-old, I tell them all the time, hey, listen, you know I'm proud of you, right? You know, you know I love you, right? You know why? Because you always tell us. And I say, no, 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 it's not that. It's just because you're my son. It's just because you're, you're my daughter. And all of the stuff you do beyond that, it's just like icing on the cake. You know, the extra stuff you love to just eat, you know? But it's just because you're my child. The second thing that we need to understand here is that children are completely dependent on a parent or adult. Lord, we know that. And here's the thing. We're, we're excited when they get to the place where they can be a little bit more independent, right? But, but they still need, you know, I heard, like I have a, I have a, a, a soon-to-be 19-year-old that, that's a, a freshman in college, and I, and I hear, for some of you who are a little bit older, you can, you can maybe help me with this, but I hear, like, they, they, just, they just never go away, you know, like they just... They're always calling. They always, so, so like, they, they're always your child. They all, they're always some, in some ways sort of like dependent on you, right? Recently, uh, I think this was last year, I was at, uh, I think, the Maryland State Fair. I grew up going to fairs. And uh, I'm not from Maryland, but, but I'm from Florida. And I grew up, you know, going to fairs. And I love fairs. So I just love the smells and the rides. And, you know, I've taken my kids. And, you know, I eat more stuff than I should. And, it's, you know, it's just great, you know? And so last year, there was this little girl. She must have been like seven years old. And... She was just crying. You know, we walked past her, and there were two police officers, and there were a couple of people. And, and, and I just kind of caught wind that she had lost her parents. She was completely turned around, and, and, and she didn't know what, where, where they were. Now, the, the girl was seven, so I have a seven-year-old, and so, you know, they can kind of maybe pour their own cereal. They can use the bathroom. You know, they can, you know, get their, get their own clothes on. They, they have some level of dependence, independence, right? But that child cannot thrive without being dependent upon an older adult to guide them. This little girl realized that with all of my independence and all of the things that I can do, like I am lost without my parents. Jesus himself said in John 8, 28, I can do nothing of myself. It is my father who helps me to do what I do. And so Jesus is telling the disciples that you need to be like this child if you want to be great because you can depend on your heavenly father to do great things through you. And without that, you can do nothing. Jesus goes on to say in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. To be a disciple of Jesus is to stay dependent upon him. I love what Andrew Murray says in his book about humility. You should consider picking this up. 
He says, humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. Listen, the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every other virtue. Humility is the bedrock. James, the brother of Jesus, and if you read uh, the book of James, you know, it's interesting. James, he wasn't really, he wasn't really cool with Jesus when Jesus was, was doing what Jesus was doing. But when Jesus went off the scene, he's like, oh, I think he was the real deal. And so James writes this entire book, and, and, and I love what he, what he writes because he's, he's literally backing up everything his brother did and said. And he says in James 3.16, uh, he talks about selfish ambition. And where there is selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. We live in a world that promotes selfish ambition for the promotion of self. And James says, if we do that, eventually every evil practice is represented. Our identity has to be one of dependence. And then the last thing I'll say Well, my last point is children have a level of freedom that adults do not. I look at my kids and I look at other little kids and I'm like, man, you don't even know these are the best years of your life. Like, man, you don't, you don't have to worry about anything. You can get up and just run around and you make messes and people help you clean it up. And, you oh, know, it's so cute. You know, like, just all of this. It, it's great, you know. But, but what do kids want to do? They can't wait till they get old. I can't wait till I can go do this. I can't wait until I can. They, they, they want their independence. And, and, I, and I understand that if we want some aspect of that for them. But children have little to no cares in the world. They can freely explore with no expectations. They can just be, and they're not living under or with any condemnation. They haven't developed what's called a hubris, which is a high view of self yet. And their ego isn't driving them. You know what is? Curiosity. You just ride in the car with a five, six, seven-year-old. They're asking about everything. As a matter of fact, the research says they're asking about 73 questions a day versus adults 20. Because they're curious. And what Jesus is saying is that when we're in a place of humility, like a child, we're free from the baggage of pride. We're free from ego. We're free from condemnation. We're free to just enjoy. That is what it feels like. In the realm of greatness. Jesus is saying that humility is humbling ourselves like children. This is the identity and this is the mindset of the kingdom of heaven. Let me see if I can bring us in for a landing. Last year... I was traveling, and sometimes I'm trying to catch a nap on a plane. Um, but this time I had this little book that someone had given to me, and 
you know, I, I'm motivated by little books. I can get through it pretty quickly, you know. I read bigger books, but little books, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get through it. So I got this little book, and uh, I, I want to rec- highly recommend it to you. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. And what Tim Keller talks about in this book, which was fascinating for me, it was just a, a, a page turner in a blink. I was finished with it. And, and he talks about how we have this overinflated ego that's connected to this idea of self-importance. And so much of our cultural norms are about bringing attention to ourselves. A lot of times, unhealthy attention to ourselves. Look at me. Look at what I did. Look at, look at this thing over here. Look how great I am. You know, even the, the, the humble brag, it was a lot of hard work and I persevered, you know. Like we put a little fluff on it. But it's still all about us. And this quote rocked me. And I want to share it with you. He says, have you ever thought about how you don't notice your body until there's something wrong with it? When we are walking around, we're not usually thinking how fantastic our toes are feeling, right? Or how brilliantly our elbows are working today. We could only think like that if there had been something previously wrong with them. That is because the parts of our body only draw attention to themselves if there's something wrong with them. Ladies and gentlemen, our human brokenness is what draws attention to ourselves. Unhealthy attention. It's our human brokenness that wants to pursue this idea of what we think it means to be great. And we get to one hill of greatness and it's actually not that big of a, of a, of a climb. And then we realize, oh, well, maybe I need to get to the next hill of greatness and the next hill and the next hill. And, and, and we begin to realize that it, it really isn't as fulfilling. Our egos are driving us, but it's brokenness within our egos. And we're constantly drawing attention to this ego every single day because it's, it's empty. It, 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 it has to be seen. It, it, it has to be treated a particular way. We, we're wondering and processing what do people think of me. And, and all the ego is trying to do is fill itself. And the number one way we do that is by comparing ourselves to other people. And so these disciples, they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, Hey, listen, you, you, we were just having a little discussion. We'd love to get your opinion. What you think? Who is the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus said, well, the pursuit is actually not about greatness. It's actually the pursuit of emptying yourself and becoming nothing. Can you imagine how deflating that is? Can, can, you, can you imagine 
this, this idea. You have this whole, because you know they had this whole picture in their minds of what it was going to be like and what their uniform would look like and where they would sit and how they would walk and who they would talk to and what they would do and, and what would be their first order once they got to their position. You know they had the whole story in their mind and Jesus just took a little pen and popped the balloon. It says, actually, if you want to be great, this is what humility looks like. The very thing that you think is nothing in our society. And as a matter of fact, if you welcome the very thing that we've declared as zero value, then you are also welcoming me. Not only is comparison the thief of joy, but it robs us of our true identity in Christ. And it prevents us from being present in the world like God desires. And you know what? Let's be honest. Without humility, we can't really love our neighbor like ourselves because they get on our nerves too bad. We need help with that. We, we, we actually need to humble ourselves and say, God, if you don't help me, I'm, I'm going to give this person a piece of something. My mind or what. You, you need, we, we can't think of others' interests before ourselves without humility and, and without the power of the Holy Spirit helping us to be humble. We can't do it. It's not possible to be a disciple of Jesus fully and to produce the fruit of the spirit we can't do it unless we become like little children jesus says only then only then will you experience the kingdom of heaven let's pray god we thank you so much for this day we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to examine our hearts, to examine the pursuits that are on our hearts, the, the next step on the ladder that we are so infatuated with that we think is going to bring us great joy. And maybe it will momentarily but actually, what is going to bring you joy and what, what's actually going to please you is if we, are, if we humble ourselves and, and we empty ourselves and, and we ask you to fill us. And not fill ourselves with what society says is great. What metrics are used to evaluate Who's better than who? But God, help us, help us to humble ourselves in the manner in which you told the disciples to become like little children so that we can know what it's like to experience your fullness. Help us to be known by our humility 
and not our pride in what we believe, not our pride in our righteousness, not our pride in things that don't matter, but in humility, which is a reflection of our true identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.